Well, folks, you know, uh, typically we've had this format where we'll have a handful of things to talk about. You know, we'll choose a film trilogy like we did with Gamera, or we'll talk about the works of a certain creator like we did with Keita Amamea. And sometimes there's one movie where there's just so much to say, so much to talk about, that an entire episode needs to be dedicated to it. And I feel like Rie Kitamura's Godzilla Final Wars deserves an episode all onto itself. A um, little bit of background history. The Millennium Godzilla films were not critical or uh, commercial successes, so Toho decided to put the series in hibernation for a while. They decided to go out with a bang and bring in a, you know, trendy, important at the time Japanese director and have him do a big send-off film. So they chose Kita, uh, I don't say Kita Amanea. So they chose Rie Kitamura and asked him, you know, to just go wild with it. And he did. It's gone on to become one of the more divisive Godzilla films in the entire franchise. And it's definitely one where my opinion seems to shift from year to year. And, uh, boys, there's a lot to talk about. Dustin, would you like to describe the plot of Godzilla Final Wars? Oh my god. Okay, so Godzilla has, at, a, at an indeterminate point in history, uh, allegedly when Don Fry was played by a different actor, uh, <clears throat> Godzilla was... Uh, also, excuse... I don't know if my voice still sounds weird. I'm recovering from a cold, so if you hear me coughing or fucking horking mucus, I'm really sorry. Uh, maybe Jacob, our editor, will spare you that. Um... But anyway, so Godzilla was trapped under basically an avalanche. He's in, um, where is he actually geographically, Seb? Is it Antarctica? I thought it was, uh, the North Pole. Okay, North Pole. I knew it was somewhere yeah. where there's ice. Anyway, uh, so Big G gets buried under ice, and he stays there for a good hour, uh, at least. Meanwhile, there are mutants, uh, they have the M base in their blood, okay, and it makes them superhumans, all right? And they're tasked with fighting Godzilla, which seems silly because Godzilla's locked away. But, alright, that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll spend a lot of money on this team that has nothing to do. And then, uh, <laughs> aliens called the Exilians. Uh, or wait, no, first. Oh my god, Seb. First, monsters show up. Just every monster in Godzilla history. Rodan and uh, Kamakuras and Kumonga and Angiris and... Everybody shows up, and they're they're kicking the shit out of the planet. And um, these Exilians show up, and they seemingly rescue us from Earth by capturing all the monsters. But guess what? It was really the Exilians' idea to unleash the monsters so they could capture them, and then that way they we they would earn our trust because the Exilian leader thinks that a peaceful uh, way of taking over the planet is best, but. The other Exilian with the weird eyebrows thinks that war being warlike is better. And so, eventually, uh, he he shoots the other guy in the head, and then he's, he's the bad guy. And then uh, some mutants fight each other on motorcycles. There's motorcycle foo. At some point, monsters come back, but that's not important. What's important is that this is the weirdest remake of Roland Emmerich's Independence Day I've ever seen. It's very loud. It's far too long. And, uh... At one point, a character who should be dead just shows up again and literally says, yes, I escaped somehow. And that's Godzilla Final Wars. Oh, Godzilla shows up later too. 
and he kills American Godzilla, which is really entertaining. Um, we'll get into it. That's is did is did I do good? <laughs> is that yeah, good enough? <laughs> um, there's also uh, they also find Gigan at one point, and he's got M base, and there's also, there's so much stuff going yeah, on in it, and all of it. They act like Gigan's a big deal, but he doesn't. Not so much. Really. <laughs> he's a goon. He's one of the coolest looking in the movie, but he doesn't really do all that much because he was designed by Kirama Mea. Yeah, he was. So, in case you didn't garner from that description, it's kind of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a mess. Yeah. But do you know what? It's dorky and fun, and uh, it's. For better or worse, the movie that Kiramura wanted to make, he had a lot of support behind the scenes from producer Shogo Tomiyama, who believed so much in Kiramura as a director that he would fight incessantly with the other execs at Toho about the direction of the film. Uh, part of this meant Kiramura had a bigger budget than any other Millennium Godzilla movie. Uh, he was allowed to play around with the script as much as he wanted. And he also got... A fair bit of say in how the creatures were designed, from what I understand. One of his uh, goals with the film was to move away from big, bulky Godzilla and make him sleek and fast again, like he was in the late or mid '70s, because those were what Kitamura grew up with. Which works. I actually really like the Godzilla design in this. All the monsters look sweet, really. Yeah, I yeah, I, there's not a single monster redesign in this. I think that I don't that I don't like. Uh, they all look great. Yeah, and I really, I really like the way Goji looks, actually. Me too. I think, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of GMK. I know we both are, but this yeah. is my favorite of the Millennium Godzilla suits. I just, I love the cat-like face, and I love the sleek body and the big claws. It's just, he's, it's very appealing. He's got a cute little uh, boopable snoot, and uh, he's got his <laughs> pointy ears. ears. I always love when Go Goji has the ears. I, I really love the ears. Me too. And uh, he's also the most uh, stupidly overpowered Godzilla to the point where almost no other monster feels like a threat in this movie. Accurate, which is, I guess, probably why they keep him buried under ice for an hour of the... It might be more. Do you know when he actually shows up? Yeah, uh, he disappears at, like, the two-minute mark and reappears at the one-hour, four-minute mark. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah he's gone for a lot of the movie. <laughs> but I'll say this much. I, I don't believe it ever gets boring when Godzilla isn't on screen. Because even when it's not a kaiju movie, it's still insane. Yeah, when when Godzilla's not around, it is still the... And I don't necessarily mean this in a bad way. It is still the the stupidest action movie ever made. Like, it is... It, well, well, I feel like we need to talk about Kitamura a little bit. Um, yeah. He, Kitamura kind of came onto the scene uh, with this movie called Versus, which is basically an indie DIY movie that he made in the woods. Uh, with with a bunch of you know like at at the time unknown actors you know Tak Sakaguchi went on to be uh, a bigger name he, although he's in this movie and he's just in the background which is very bizarre um, but Kitamura's whole deal is that he has this frenetic he makes Sam Raimi look like he's on Quaaludes like he his style is so frenetic and so energetic and so insane. It, I also think it's an acquired taste because I know it turns off some people. I'm a pretty big fan of the work of his that I've seen. Uh, Versus rules, uh, Azumi rules. Uh, I'm a big defender of Midnight Meat Tray, and I kind of think it rules no. too, uh, which is his, I think, his first American movie. He's made a couple since then. 
Um, he also yeah. directed all the cutscenes in the remake of uh, Metal Gear Solid for the GameCube. So if you ever want to see some really wild action in uh, GameCube graphics form, you should find those on YouTube and watch them or find the game. But he, it's just like he's he's ADHD personified. Like his his style is just bonkers and creative, and he always finds interesting things to do with the camera. And by interesting, I mean he makes it rotate around the actors at 70 miles per hour at any opportunity. Yeah, he's um he's very energetic like you like you said as a director. He um really draws upon many influences that aren't even necessarily inherent to Japanese cinema. He studied uh he studied film in Australia and he's often said the works of George Miller and stuff like that were where what made him want to make films. And you can see that, I, I think, especially in this, because it draws from The Matrix and from X-Men, from very Western influences as opposed to what was going on in Japan at the time. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, and I, and I the, honestly, like, I joked about the Roland Emmerich Independence Day thing before, but, like, I had never really noticed it or thought about it until this time when I watched it. But I was like, oh, he, in the scenes that aren't Godzilla scenes, he's totally aping Emmerich's style. Like... The cutaway to like tertiary characters who have their own little stories, all of the like B-roll in other countries, um, right down to the final space battle and the way the spaceship works and the way um, even one of the spaceships is destroyed is the same as in the movie Independence Day. And what's really bizarre about that is that Emmerich is the guy who directed the God the American Godzilla <laughs> remake from the 90s that this movie shits all over. So it's this really bizarre thing. Uh, it's almost like, it's like a love letter and a hate letter to Roland Emmerich, which was, I don't know, super, super bizarre. Well, you know, um, a lot of people have said that it feels like he almost had no interest in even making a Godzilla movie because of how far off this one is from what you'd expect. But the fact of the matter is that, according to himself at least, he really wanted to make a Godzilla movie, and this was just his idea of what a pure Godzilla film was. I feel like he wanted to make a Godzilla movie, but he was drawing exclusively from the the Showa era. I I don't yes. I don't see any traces of the previous Millennium movies movies or any of the Heisei movies. This feels very very Showa to me. Yeah, he has said that his favorites growing up were the '70s ones, especially Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. He has said that was his favorite. To the point where in a recent interview he was asked why Mechagodzilla wasn't in this movie. And his answer was, honestly, I have no idea why I didn't put Mechagodzilla. <laughs> I was wonder I was watching, I'm like, really, you chose to put Minya in this movie, but not Mechagodzilla? Like, why is he not there? Yeah, he has no answer. And uh, he was really frustrated with the state of Godzilla at the time. He recalled going to see, I think it was Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. Uh, and the only way you could see it when it was first released was as a double feature with a Hamtaro movie. <laughs> and he was like in this theater with all these kids. Everyone had come to see Hamtaro, but nobody cared about Godzilla. And it like hurt him so much that one of his goals with this was to just make a Godzilla movie that was big and loud and could like really catch people's attentions. Oh man, I really wish there was a scene in this now where like Godzilla kills Hamtaro. Or like there's like a Hamtaro billboard and he just like demolishes it or something. Yeah, you know, he uh, he definitely had a lot of goals and oftentimes still found himself at odds with Toho themselves 
you know, people may remember from our Heisei video, our video, our Heisei <laughs> episode, that Toho is very protective of Godzilla, for better or worse. They have a very specific way they like him to be done. And, you know, it's not always a franchise that works in favor of an tour. They've gotten better in recent years, you know, we've gotten Anno with Shin Godzilla and, you know, they, they've become more relaxed, but at this time they were, you know, wanting something kind of traditional and Kitamura was doing his thing. So it came down to a lot of Tomiyama speaking on his behalf and trying to win them over, which I'm sure didn't help when the film came out and was a huge financial disaster. Not huge, but it, it didn't do great. You know, I kind of think in general, the cause you said it earlier how your opinion wavers on it depending, like, from year to year. And yeah. my I have generally really loved it. This time when I watched it, there were... There was a lot that I really that I really didn't like this time around, and not to say I, do, I don't like the movie because there's enough in the movie that I love and I'm entertained by that I that I would recommend it to you know anyone who likes Godzilla, um, maybe no one else because I think anybody else their eyeballs would melt out of their head. It's hard to recommend as like the first Godzilla movie to see. I think as I was watching it, I, w I was trying to figure out is this a loving homage to the Godzilla franchise. Or is it a parody? Because there are elements where I feel like the homage crosses over into parody. Um, and I don't know if it's intentional, but I definitely felt that this time, especially with the Minya scenes. I think the first Minya scene is where I started to feel it, where I'm like, it doesn't feel like this movie likes Minya. Uh, for, for the uninitiated, Minya or Manila or... Um, uh, he has. He, does he have another name? I feel like there's another name. Uh, I know Minya and Manila, and yeah, that's yeah. it. And then, uh, well, Godzilla Junior is kind of another thing, I guess. But um, the one that looks stupid, the one that looks like a Pillsbury Doughboy, <laughs> is the one that's in this movie. And I was like, this movie doesn't feel like it likes him, but it's dedicating a weird amount of time to him. It felt like parody. I felt like I was watching it make fun of itself in a weird way. I don't know. Those scenes feel like the way Minya was treated in the Showa movies anyways. It, like, even down to the music, it reminded me a lot of the score for Son of Godzilla. Well, even the filmmaking style changes in his scenes. Um, mm -hmm. Which, it actually changes a lot throughout the movie. And I, I was wondering if you knew the actual, like, if this was true or not. But I felt like Kitamura uh, definitely directed the human action scenes. Because the human fight scenes and action sequences feel like the action sequences in his other movies. They feel like the fights in Azumi or in Versus. They feel a lot like Versus. Actually, the movie looks a lot like Versus in that it's ugly as shit. But, um... <laughs> Very blue. Well, and we have, oddly enough, I think we have Oh Brother Where Art Thou to blame for that. Which I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on. But, um, do you know if Kitamura actually directed the monster fights. I'm so glad you brought this up. Um, Cause they so don't, an, they don't feel like his style as much as the rest of the movie does. Yeah. So traditionally there is a director for the human scenes and there is a special effects director for the kaiju scenes. That was the case in this. Kitamura wanted to do the kaiju scenes and was told, no, we will let our effects guy do it. And he's said in the past that 
if he could have, he would have directed those scenes very differently. Okay. But he didn't have much control on the kaiju side of things. Because He I... could have a say in, like, how they played out and, like, you know, some specifics, but ultimately he wasn't there for any of it. Because it is weird how the movie, oddly enough, calms down during the monster fights. Which I think yes. sometimes works. I think in the final fight, it works. Um, but there were some other times where I was like, man, I really like to have that Kitamura flavor in this fight. I would love to see the camera zipping around these monsters. I would love to see them maybe break the tradition of the slow motion a little bit and have not to the point of like Godzilla raids again, where they're just like, you know, high speed, like slapping the crap out of each other, but maybe like a little faster and just, I don't know. I, I would have loved to see Kitamura put his stank on some of those, those uh, tokusatsu scenes. I agree. Uh, we, we come close a few times uh, when Godzilla quote unquote fights American Godzilla, <laughs> they feel the need to blast a, uh, a some 41 song. And I thought, well, you know, that's probably a decision Kitamura would have made. Yeah, I also some 41 is right at the beginning of the title sequence. Like like it just says some 41 really big on fire and I'm like, "What is that like was that part <laughs> of the licensing deal or what? Why is that there?" Um also what's hilarious about that is the uh the song is a is a pretty typical late 90s early 2000s, you know, the U like fuck live it in the USA kind of like punk song. But yeah. For some reason, they put all of Zilla's scenes in Australia, which is just they gave they put Rodan in New York and they put Zilla in, <laughs> in Australia. It's it's a really bizarre choice. Um, you know, while, while quickly while we're on the subject, I just wanted to make another uh, little factoid about the music. The score was by Keith Emerson of Emerson Lake and Palmer. Okay. Which on its own is very bizarre. Uh, people who are like maybe genre fans but not familiar with music very much he also did the score for argento's inferno okay and it's a very strange score by strange do you it, mean terrible because, uh, yeah. I, I unique it's a unique <laughs> score um did mr emerson just find out what fruity loops was because the entire score of this movie is just loops like it is I mean, the Godzilla theme is fine. Uh, yeah. it, you know, it's just a weird perversion of the classic Godzilla theme. But the rest of it is like I, I kept – there were two things while I was watching this movie that I, I, that I want to see happen. That wouldn't require them to reshoot anything, put it that way. Because there's plenty of things I think they should redo. I would love to see this movie rescored with a mm. more traditional bombastic full orchestra score. And I'd love to see this movie – scanned and recolor corrected because the color correction in this the color grading is fucking dreadful it is awful and those two things um i don't know why this time but they really stuck out to me and they were they were key in making me not enjoy the entire movie quite as much as i used to i guess yeah i can get that uh, you know on the topic of Emerson's music. He was given two weeks to write the score oh, and apparently wrote Jesus. more than was actually used. Okay, yeah. well then I feel bad for shitting on him because for two weeks work, it's not so bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, the color correction is inexcusable. You mentioned Oh Brother Where Art Thou and I feel like I know where you're going with that. Yeah, so all I was going to say is, so Oh Brother Where Art Thou, I don't know if it was the first movie to utilize it, probably not, but it was the first one to use it in a major way. 
um, to use digital color grading where they scanned the film and then altered the color in post. And in Oh Brother, Where, oh Brother, Where Art Thou, <clears throat> excuse me, it was mostly done to suck all the green out of the movie because the movie takes place during the period of the Dust Bowl in the United States. And so they would literally pull the green out and replace it with like yellows and browns and oranges. And that's what gives that movie. It's not a sepia tone movie, but when they're outdoors, it kind of feels sepia tone because there's no, there's very little green in the movie. And after Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It started this revolution in the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s of movies getting these, these color grades. Um, and so the, the thing at the time, especially in music videos, was you kill the fucking contrast. You you crush the blacks and then you throw like some blue or you throw some matrix green or you know whatever you wanna wanna do. You can alter the whole look of the picture very easily. The problem is at the time, uh, scanning negatives and, and being able to process that footage through a computer was very intensive and very expensive and you and it lowered the resolution of the movie basically unless you were a huge production um so you have a lot of movies from that era that now when they're getting released on blu-ray are actually getting rescanned and recolor corrected because the original color grading degraded the movie so much that it has to be restored so godzilla final wars has not been restored godzilla final wars just still looks like early 2000s color grade poop because Sony didn't do that when they released it. They just took an HD transfer and threw it on the Blu-ray. So that that's what I was saying where I would love for them to rescan this and clean it up. The film, outside of those two points, which I will admit are borderline distractingly bad. Yeah. Like, you know, two weeks or not, the score is not right. Yeah. It, yeah. Just, <laughs> is, it, it just isn't. But beyond that, I cannot bring myself to hate Godzilla Final Wars. Oh, no. It's, I, uh, I don't hate it a at all. No. Uh, I think one of the things that it really has going for it is, you know, in some ways it's intentionally great, in other ways it's not so intentionally great, is the fact that this has a very unique human cast. Um, our lead is Masahiro Matsuoka, who plays Ozaki. He was not an actor. He was a drummer for a rock band because that's a very Kitamura casting decision to do. We have Rei Kiku, Kikukawa, sorry, as Miyuki Otanashi. Uh, she was a model, not an actor. <laughs> we have Don Fry. He was an MMA fighter, not an actor. But then, mixed in with all these non-actors, we've got, like, Akira Takarada, Jun Kunimura, uh, Ken, uh, Kenji Sahara, all these great veteran actors from the Showa era, specifically that actually get pretty good sizable supporting parts, which was another uh, goal of Kitamura's, which is to take these actors who in recent years had just gotten cameos and bit parts and actually give them stuff to do, which is admirable. And I don't, so I'm not super familiar with those actors, but I'm assuming one of them was the, was the, um, uh, is he the defense secretary? The guy in the silver suit who gets replaced That's by That's Akira Takarada. Okay. And then one yeah, of them he, was... Uh... He, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, Akira Takarada was the lead in the original Gojira from 1954. Okay, thought he looked familiar. And then uh, an another guy who I think was in Red, Re Red Requiem, right? Um, is, yes, is, uh, the, he's the he Gotengo was, captain. 
Yes, the Gotengo captain in the opening scene. One of the other guys you mentioned, I'm assuming, is the guy who was also in Garo uh, Red Requiem, who's and he's the captain of the Gotengo in this, right? Yeah. And which in actor is that? Scene. I'm trying to remember his name now because he's not in the cast list for some reason oh, that weird. I had jotted down here. I recognize. I just uh, recognized his face. He's very distinct looking. He is, and he's in a bunch of the Heisei Godzilla films as well. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah, he was the villain in Red Requiem. Yeah. We talked about in our last episode. Uh, we've also got Kenji Sahara, like I mentioned, who's the scientist who discovers uh, Gigan. He was in a bunch of the Showa Godzilla movies. He was specifically the lead in Son of Godzilla. And there was another one that I had jotted down. Can you guys tell that there's a lot of people in this movie, by the way? There's a, mil there's a million characters. Uh, I had mentioned Jun Kunimura. He's not a Godzilla veteran, but you know this guy. He was boss Tanaka in Kill Bill. He was oh, the bad yeah. guy in the Attack on Titan movies. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's uh, the guy I'm thinking of. He maybe that he was not in Garou Red Requiem, but maybe that's the guy I'm thinking of. We're doing great. We're doing <laughs> We're doing great on this one. Yeah, we're doing fantastic. The I think this, this this alone should be a testament to what Godzilla Final Wars does to a person. Yeah, this is what it does to your brain. I also watched this movie while I had a fever, so that <laughs> I'm sure that helped. <laughs> I think there are two cast members in particular that warrant discussion, okay. and I'll start with the lesser of the two in my mind. Okay. Let's talk about Don Fry. <laughs> Oh, Don Fry. So I want to uh, give a little bit of a history lesson regarding the casting of the character Captain Gordon. So Captain Gordon is this tough guy. He's the captain of the Gatango who years prior froze Godzilla. And uh, originally Kitamura wanted Jean Reno to play the part. Oh, okay. Another um, Roland Emmerich connection. Cause, yeah. Because uh, he's in the American Godzilla. All right, weird. All right. So you wanted Jean Reno. Jean Reno was too expensive. Toho said, well, what if we got you Don Johnson? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he said, nah, no, that's not going to work. What if we got Don Fry? <laughs> a, a suitable and, replacement for Jean Reno or, uh, or Don Johnson. Sure. You either get those two or yeah. you get Don Fry. Don Fry was a very famous MMA fighter at the time, especially big in Japan. And this was his first acting role, in case you couldn't tell. And uh, he kind of looks like good guy Stalin. He looks like that guy from Streets of Rage. He straight up looks like a, like a side-scrolling beat-em-up character. He does. Uh, a Kitamura's idea for the character was that he would be the human representation of Godzilla. So, you had to be this what? big, gruff, unstoppable force of a man. And, guys, Don Fry's performance in this isn't good, but it's delightful. Yeah. I think this man is delightful. It's, he brings me so much joy. You know what Don Fry's performance is like? Um, it's like when you go to a high school play... And one of the actors just was like a football player who needed that course credit. So like he he's in the play. He's never been in a play before. Uh, they gave him a role that's way too big uh, because the community knows him and he'll get the, the ticket sales. 
And then uh, he kind of he you know he does his best, and it's sort of endearing at how much he's 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 attempting to act. That's what Don Fry feels like. Um, Don Fry himself has been very self-deprecating about his performance in this. As he uh, should be. When, uh, when Kitamura approached him, he was like, yeah, we'll work on your character and I'll, you know, help you out with your lines. And he, uh, according to him, he remembers asking Kitamura, wait, I have lines? I <laughs> deliver dialogue? <laughs> the, the scene where... Uh, the scene where Ozaki has to go get him from a jail cell because he's been put away for striking a superior officer apparently went on for a good two to three minutes originally, and it's like ten seconds in the movie because he just couldn't get his lines down. That was another hilarious thing to me is when they establish his character by telling you something that happened off screen. And I'm thinking, how hard is it just to film a scene where he punches somebody? Like, it would have, like, helped his character that much more if we saw him do it and the reason he did it. It was a very bizarre choice. Kitamura's original cut of this ran over three hours. Oh, so that may sweet. have been a scene at one point. Monkey Christ, that is far too long. The movie already needs 20 minutes at least cut out of it. Nah, nah dude, it needed more. It oh, needed more sad. Captain Gordon. <laughs> no. <laughs> One of my one of my absolute favorite Don Fry moments in this is when Jun Kunimura's character is like, "So you want us to go to the North Pole, break Godzilla out of the ice, bring him here, make him fight the other monsters, and then somehow freeze him again?" Then there's this long dramatic beat, and Don Fry just as flatly as possible says yes. <laughs> he has a couple, and I wish I could remember them. Maybe I should have watched it again today, but he has a couple one-liners that are really bizarre, but it's not even just him. There are lots of one-liners in this movie that are very strange. And uh, one that one that comes to mind is, oh, by the way, this is the first time I ever watched this movie subbed. I had always watched it dubbed before. So I did not realize that, that there were just random characters who spoke English in this movie, which is very bizarre. Not just Don Fry, but there's a random... Um, M-Base mutant who also just speaks perfect English, um, despite the fact that the actor appears to be Japanese, but he's the one who kills Ebera, the sea monster, um, or is about to kill him. And before he fires the shot, he says, sorry, I'm a vegetarian. That, that's someone else that needs to be mentioned. That's Kane Kasugi. Oh, it is? I didn't realize yeah. that. Okay. That's the son of Shokasugi, who, you know, starred in all the canon ninja movies. He's a pretty big, like, martial arts icon in the 80s. He's the, Anyways, he's yeah, the that's major... Anyways, yeah, that's his son. He's also, importantly, he's the major henchman and final fight scene in the movie Blind Fury, starring Rutger Hauer, which is a movie that fucking rules and everybody should watch it. So, just putting that out there. But I did not, I did not realize that was him. I guess that makes sense. So, mildly famous actor of Japanese descent in the movie. That, that, that makes sense. Okay. The, uh... The second cast member that I thought weren't, you know, this level of deep discussion. I feel like you're going to be able to guess who it is. Yeah, I think I've guessed who it is. I'm talking about Kazuki Kitamura as the Exilian Controller. Yeah. Who is uh, just... Guys, there are... In the pantheon of over-the-top villains, you've got Angus McFadden in Warriors of Virtue. You've got <laughs> Gary Oldman in The Fifth Element. You've got this guy... He's the guy who I, in when I was explaining the movie, I referred to him as having weird eyebrows, because um, he does. Uh, 
So when I was watching, I was like, I was sitting there thinking, I was like, first I was like, oh, I bet Seb loves this guy. But then I was like, maybe Seb hates this guy. I don't know. So now I'm curious to hear your thoughts on him. Seb loves this guy. This is an amazing <laughs> performance. <So. laughs> What what a what a cartoon! You know, Don Fry in an interview said Kitamura isn't like a human being. He is like a cartoon in real life. You just have to let him do that. So I can yeah, only and, imagine how exhausting it is. And here's I have a I have a fun factoid. Uh, so um, there's a there's a part near the end where he's fighting um, the cardboard cutout who represents our main character, and he. Um, <laughs> Uh, he like powers up randomly and his hair gets all spiky like he's a super saiyan. Uh, that wasn't a special effect. He just does that when he's frightened. So he can just he can just do that on command. So Are you are you serious? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so stupid I had to call attention to it because I don't know why it happens. But it sure does. It sure happens. Yeah, dude, that's when we get my favorite shot in the whole movie. What's your or favorite? Or that scene shot in the whole is when movie? we get it's when the main character's punching him, and on the TV screen you see Godzilla mimicking his movements and punching down the villain monster. Oh, that is great. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's that is... so good. That's one of the most, like, empowering fucking Godzilla <laughs> scenes I've ever seen. It's like, holy shit, if I was a violent person, that would make me want to go out and punch a monster, too. It kind of reminds me of, uh, do you remember the Street Fighter movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme? Of course. You, yeah. Do you remember the scene where E-Honda and... Zangief are fighting and it, it's also cutting to like a is it cutting to a Godzilla movie too while that or no they put Godzilla sound effects over it that's what it is yeah yeah that's yeah it it, it brings that to mind that's a movie that I unironically think is kind of great but anyway <laughs> I yeah, love when I say shit it, like that I wish you guys could see Seb's face when I say shit like that and I completely derail him <laughs> and then he's got to figure out how to get the show back on yeah the back. I'll, I'll... <laughs> You know, listen, anybody who's listening, I just want you to know that this conversation is about as well-structured as Godzilla Final Wars. Yeah. This is all intentional. Yeah, so. yeah. We did this on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, those are the two cast members because our two leads, Ozaki and I can't even remember. I just said her name a moment ago, but they're so boring. Oh, boy, do they suck. They. Yeah. <laughs> well, and not only do they, they like, are they not great performance-wise there's not a lot for them to do really like the good guy's entire role is just like i'm the good guy like that's all he's got we don't learn anything about these people um really i mean oddly enough the exilians are more and i don't even understand why they're invading earth but they have more background information we understand them more than we do any of the human beings well we know they want to eat people is that what it is i must have missed well, that well he calls them cattle. Well, I know so. he calls them cattle, but... Well, no, isn't it that he wants to... He wants to kill all the humans, but leave all the mutants, and then let the mutants repopulate the Earth with M-Base, because they use M-Base as fuel? Maybe? Is that mm. what it is? <laughs> you're, uh, you're supposed to know. <laughs> Remember that part? Kazuki Kiyomura's character just screams Gigan. Yes. Yeah. That that sums up the whole movie so perfectly. <laughs> it's just a very hyper man screaming out monster names. This is like I feel like this episode is 
I you know I listened to our, our previous episode, our our um, yeah. Kata Amamiya episode, and I was like, man, we sound really smart. And <laughs> I was like, Seb and I kind of sound like we know what we're talking about. This is a good episode. I don't think this one is going to sound like that. I... <laughs> Believe me. Hey, well, we front loaded it with good info. Now people can just yeah, accept yeah. that we're talking about madness. Yeah, I think I think we we at least match the. You said it best. We we match the chaos of the movie we're talking about. I guess. Um, yeah. Oh, I want to ask you because Seb, you usually know these things when I don't. There's a scene in a in a uh, at a radio station, and they're talking to a guy, and he's like, "Nah, man, my name's just X now." Like, and he's one of the Exilians. Do you is that guy a cameo? Like, what is what is his deal? Uh, he was like a J-pop singer, I think, at the okay, time. Okay, okay, that's what I assumed. Uh, the big cameo in that scene, though, is that the guy he's talking to, the interviewer, is uh, Rie Kitamura. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah, I had no idea. Huh. Yeah. I guess I never knew what he looked like. So, uh, another, like, big selling point for this movie was the idea that Godzilla would also face off against pretty much every one of his major foes. So, you know, you've got Rodan, you've got Gigan, you've got Anguirus, uh, Mothra shows up. Uh, Manda shows up in the opening, which is, I always thought was really cool, because Manda's fucking awesome. And, and I, very I appreciated that they, that they did a mix of CGI and practical with Manda, because I feel like it would be just as easy to just do it cgi since it's only one scene and manda's just kind of a big danger noodle so the fact that they actually like had a manda puppet i thought was pretty cool yeah and it looks sweet it's like a great design that really leans into that uh japanese dragon style i've always liked the look of manda quite a bit yeah me too but then we get a monster that was original for the film which is just called monster x that i think is both kind of cool and also kind of out of place in terms of aesthetic with the rest of the creatures. Is is do you know, is Monster X also a Keda Amamiya design? Do you know? I don't think it is, but it's definitely influenced by him. It feels like one of his. It feel it feels like it could have been a monster in Garou. Um, yeah, I I'm actually I'm in the exact same page as you with that. I think it looks awesome. It looks mm. too humanoid to be a godzilla foe like it would look totally out of out of place in any other god i mean it still looks out of place but if it was just like godzilla versus this guy it would look weird it doesn't look right but they do still get the best fight in the movie i actually love godzilla's fight with monster x especially the bit when monster x grabs godzilla by the wrists and oh, just yeah. cracks them yeah it's so good he turns he grabs godzilla's hands like wrestling like you know how wrestlers lock up and then twists them down, and then by like bending his hands backward, lifts Godzilla off the ground, uh, which is awesome because, as Seb mentioned before, Godzilla in this movie is nigh invulnerable. Like he's taken out monsters left and right. So when he finally meets someone who can do that to him, it gives that monster a lot of weight. It makes him seem pretty scary. And then they do a twist with him that I've always been very mixed on. I've been this way ever since I was a little kid when I first saw the movie, where it turns out he's Ghidorah, but not King Ghidorah. He's called Kaiser Ghidorah. And I don't know why they felt the need for him to be another monster in disguise, especially because it turns out he's weaker as Ghidorah than he is as Monster X. Yeah. He also um, looked like... Uh, he, to me, he looked like Des Ghidorah from the, uh, from the Mothra movies. 
Like it's like yeah, because it had like the four-legged body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it reminded me of. I like I like the design, but you're right. He's like, I'm gonna transform, and then he just gets the shit kicked out of him. Like he doesn't get to do anything badass. Yeah, not at all. And I don't know. I I wish it would have just stuck to Monster X because it's a better creature design in my opinion, and also it was just the better fight up to that point. I gotta say though, the transformation is pretty dope. Like the way they they do the transforming, mm-hmm. because it's hard to explain over audio. Like you should you should watch the movie to see how they do it. But basically, Monster X is a humanoid body with with one or no two monster heads technically, but it's like one monster head in the middle and then a half on each shoulder. And then when he turns into Ghidorah, each half head like inflates to be a full head. And it's a good, con- it's a combination of practical stuff and digital stuff to get him from like the humanoid form to the quadrupedal Ghidorah form, and it's just a really neat concept. It almost feels like um, when you watch like a uh, like a Gundam show or a, or a mecha anime, and they do the big complicated transformation sequences. It kind of brought that to mind for me, but it's a really great sequence that it unfortunately kind of leads to a lame fight. But the transformation is dope. Yeah, he gets a pretty cool death. Godzilla literally chucks him into space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, didn't he also come to Earth on a hologram? That was really confusing to me. There's like a there's like a comet hurtling toward Earth, and then they say that it's not really a comet, it's a hologram, but then the comet hits Earth and it's a monster. Is that what, is that what happened? So yeah, the Exilians try to win over the human beings by saying that Earth is going to be destroyed by this approaching comet called Gorath, which is a reference to a 60s era uh, show of a uh, film called Gorath, which I think was also Ishiro Honda, the guy who did the original Godzilla. Anyways, they think that they're going to hit, that's how they kind of sway the humans to win them over, because they'll destroy Gorath for them. Turns out Gorath isn't real, it's all a ploy to win their trust. But then, I, the towards the end, Gorath, I guess, is real, and Godzilla blows it up, but it turns out it's not an asteroid, it's Monster X, which, I don't know. You have, a mess. I really want to know what the writer's room was like on this. Like, it feels like it was a lot of ideas that they were all in love with and could, and they were so in love with all of them that they couldn't decide, like, they couldn't cut any of them, you know? So they just tried to, like, mishmash them all together. I seem to remember uh, Kitamura saying in an interview that they would basically meet up every so often and they'd have, like, a whole list of ideas for where it could go and he would just say roll with all of them and see what comes out. <laughs> all right. Uh, Mr. Kitamura here, here's all of our ideas. We have a hundred. We'll try to pare those down to like 10. And he's like, no, all of them, <laughs> put them all in. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's, it's part of the movie's charm to an extent, because by the time you reach that point towards the end, you're so numb to all of it that you're like, whatever i'll just roll with this by the end of this movie every time i watch it i'm very sleepy because the movie demands a lot from your brain and your eyeballs um not in any intellectual way just in like you're trying to process it and figure out and you're give you're being given a lot of images and a lot of information and it just like it just wears me out like final wars should be immediately followed by a nap i think when you when you watch it 
See, and it has the opposite effect on me. I feel like I just have a huge sugar rush. And like, <laughs> I, uh, I got to go for a run or something. You're one of those um, weirdos that if they gave you a sedative, it would like make you go berserk instead of knocking you out. <laughs> probably. I'd probably have like a panic attack and start slapping people. <laughs> just full open hand slaps. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Um, you guys can't see it, but Seb just started slapping the air. <laughs> the uh, And if anyone's curious about how this all ends, all this insanity, it ends with Godzilla just deciding he doesn't hate people anymore and leaving. Although, <clears throat> it doesn't matter that he doesn't hate people anymore because there's no people left on Earth, right? Like, doesn't this movie yeah. end with everybody except for M-based people and the main characters dead? Isn't that the idea? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Because they basically say um, at the end, they're like, well, the world's destroyed already anyway, but let's go out with a bang before they go in for the final battle, which I, in any other movie would be kind of bleak, but it kind of just goes right over your head in this movie. Like, you're like, fine, that's fine. Everybody's dead. Okay, great. Yeah, I don't think I processed till the last time I watched this, like the time prior to this, that it kind of ends with the human race being extinct. Yeah. Which I guess is a fitting conclusion to a Godzilla franchise. Oddly enough, I, it is, yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's another layer of craziness to this, because before Godzilla decides to forgive people because Menia shows up and, like, manages to persuade him, Captain Gordon has every intention of going out and fighting Godzilla himself with a katana. <laughs> Which, <laughs> which dude that should have been the ending of the movie <laughs> they should have had don fry scaling godzilla with a sword oh slicing gosh. at him yeah fucking shadow of the colossus style just climbing him uh which that you know i that it just i just realized this so they cast don fry who's a professional fighter yeah. he barely has a fight scene in the movie like well that's because it was meant for jean reno yeah, I guess that's true. But come on, man, he's so big. Like that's he all he's, he's good massive. for. <clears throat> he's human. He's he's supposed to be human Godzilla. Of course, he's big. Yeah, and you can tell he's human With... Godzilla because he shares Godzilla's big bushy mustache. <laughs> I love that mustache. <laughs> that mustache. The mustache. Is, it's so full and so thick that it looks fake. I know it's not, but it looks fake. What a gem. <laughs> what a gem of a man. What a peach. I feel that, like that Don Fry. I've shown this movie to more people because of Don Fry than I have for <laughs> most mostly monster related reasons. Ah. Uh, so when this came out, it didn't do great. It, you know, they did a huge hubbub about it. They had a premiere at the Grauman's Chinese Theater in Los Angeles. They got Godzilla, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. They went all out on it, and it still underperformed, which, you know, was kind of the final nail. It told Toho it was right to end it here. Which, it's hard to, you know, figure out why Godzilla wasn't working at this time. It could just be that interest in tokusatsu had died down, you know, there wasn't much mainstream appeal. Maybe Godzilla just lost relevancy because, you know, you and I can both admit that no matter how much we enjoy the Millennium Godzilla movies, besides GMK, they do kind of fall aside of what Godzilla's meant to be thematically. Yeah, I mean, the, the Millennium films, as, as fun as they are... Um... 
feel more like, you know, like a TV show, like a Toku TV show, something akin to like the lighter Ultraman entries or something like that than an actual Godzilla movies. Yeah, it's so it's hard to figure out why Godzilla wasn't working at this point, but for better or worse, they decided to lay the franchise dormant after this where it would remain for 10 years till we got the Gareth Edwards reboot. And I remember walking away with this as a little kid because remember I was like nine years old when this came out. And when I finally saw it, I remember watching it thinking this would be the last Godzilla movie. And at the time, I just kind of took it as such. In retrospect, watching it as an adult, I'm so glad it's not because as fun as it is, this would just be the worst possible way for the series to end. <laughs> I, I don't know about worst possible, but yeah, it's it'd be a weird place to leave it. Like, uh, yeah. and, and it's wild to think that it was, what was this? Is this 2004 or 2003? 2004. So 2004, and then Shin Godzilla's 2016, right? So yeah. so they left G in the vault for for 12 whole years in Japan. Um, I mean, luckily, I mean Shin Godzilla's amazing, so he came back, you know, full force, guns blazing. But uh, yeah, it'd be a super super strange place to to leave it. The film's critical and financial, uh, you know underreactions, shall we say, is what led Kitamura to leave Japan and pursue filming, filmmaking in America. He was very angry with how Toho chose to advertise the movie. He felt like none of the ads sold the tone that the film was, which led to tepid audience reactions. He was just fed up and, uh, you know, went on to make Midnight Me Train and No One Lives and mostly does direct-to-video stuff in America nowadays, but he's still working, so... Maybe and you I, made the right call. Um, and I just mentioned before, like I'm a I'm a big Midnight Meat Train defender. I think that's a cool movie. Um, I've seen No One Lives, and that one. Have you seen that? I haven't. No. It, it's it's super fun, and it's um I'm blanking on the actor's name. Uh, Luke Evans. Luke Evans, who I really like in everything he's in, yeah. and it's basically like a slasher action movie with him as the slasher. A lot of fun. He also did a. Uh, a movie called Downrange, which is a horror movie about a sniper, I believe, uh, which I haven't seen yet, but um, is probably at least stylish and fun because everything he touches is at least stylish and fun from what I've seen. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, I guess it's kind of a bummer because I think he's a, he's a bigger talent than that. He's a, he's a guy who I'd love to see take on, you know, if they'd let him be himself, if they'd let him be an auteur, He'd be the perfect guy to hand one of these new, you know, huge tentpole movies like a DC movie or an MCU movie. I mean, he's built to make that kind of stuff, that kind of spectacle. So um, it's kind of a bummer that he's been relegated to the station he's in. But at least he's still working, I guess. At least he's still, you know, putting out stuff. And, you know, he has ambitions of returning to Japan and making verses too. I know that's something he's been working at for a while. It would not have any of the original cast because mainly him and Tack aren't friends anymore. Oh, that's sadly. sad. I didn't know that. Yeah, did you ever... Oh, man, you haven't heard this story. No. That's good. We can use this to just ramble about Kitamura for a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, Tack Sakaguchi, who was the lead in Versus, as we mentioned, and uh, plays a random exilian goon in Final Wars. Man, he should have been the main bad guy. Yeah, I agree. Or at least, like, the main henchman of the bad guy. Like, something. Yeah. But I will Should say have this, had lines. I'll, I'll let you. I'll, I'll let you finish what you're going to say. But I have always had this feeling from the interviews that I've seen with Tack 
that uh-huh. he's probably a pain in the ass. So I don't know if that's the direction you're going, but that's the – like I love him on screen. I think he has great presence. He's an amazing act- – like his fighting uh, choreography, everything is fantastic. But in all of his interviews, I'm like, that guy's an ass. But I'll let you go on with what you were going to say. Uh, he's basically – he star him and several of the other versus cast members starred in a parody of verses. And when Kitamura said, "I would rather if you guys didn't do this," they went ahead and did it anyways. Which Kitamura got so salty about that he just won't talk to any of them now. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, uh, I don't it's know, only I don't, been released in Japan. I don't know who's the bigger butthole in that situation, though. Are I know they, it's so are they bigger because... buttholes for doing it anyway, or is he being a butthole for being so salty about it? You know. I guess that depends on your perspective. I'm uh, I'm inclined to agree with you about Tack seeming pretty... F- I don't want to say full of himself, but, you know, kind of a jerk, maybe. My The impression I get from him is that he has... And, and this is not to diminish his talent at all, because I think he's, no. he's fantastic. I like him in everything he's in. Like, Yakuza Weapon is a super fun, like, Sushi Typhoon-style uh, movie. I don't know. I can't remember if it's an official Sushi Typhoon, but it's from that era. The thing I think about tack is that he i get the impression that he likes to be in charge i think he likes to be the one calling the shots and not to say that he does like a bad job when he's in charge of stuff but i i I get this feeling that he's probably a little difficult to work with like having him in your movie is probably like having a second director working against you is this is all just speculation but from interviews i've watched with the guy and behind the scenes stuff i've seen i get that impression from him well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, he was in uh, Sion Sano's most recent movie, Prisoners of the Ghost Land. Yeah. And I noticed that he was also the fight choreographer for it. So I wondered which came first and if he weaseled his way into doing one because he was hired to do the other yeah, kind of thing. Be. Or it could just so, be yeah, that it, he's good at fight choreography. I mean, I think he choreographs most I mean, of the he, movies in. Yeah. He's obsessed, yeah. With, he's obsessed with one-take fight scenes. To the point where he made an entire movie that's just a one-take fight scene, I think. Um, yeah, it was him and the Death Trance director. Yeah, which Death Trance is really fun. But uh, by all accounts, that movie is not very good. But he but he did it. He did a full movie that's one fight scene, I guess. Uh, wow, that was quite the tangent about it. De- Anyways, he's also in Godzilla Final Wars, so this is totally <laughs> relevant. I think that a good way to cap this off would be ask you dustin if you were handed this project if you know it's godzilla's 50th anniversary what would you have done with it i you know i i honestly think i would have done something similar uh i i like the the alien invasion plot it's very classic godzilla um i like the idea of like you know um i think james rolf said this actually in his review of it where he was talking about usually in godzilla movies you get monsters fighting and people talking in this movie you get monsters fighting and then people fighting and i think i would keep that element excuse me sorry um the one thing that i would do majorly different aside from applying my own aesthetics and shooting style and stuff like that i would spend more time on the monsters i would make them a core part of the plot more than they are in the movie i would give them a little more reverence um and I think for at least some of them, I would do more callbacks to their origins in the other movies. And just because I love him, I would give King Caesar a much bigger role. <laughs> I would make, I would put his song in there. Like I would have him summoned the way he is. Like I, I might even make him a 
a good guy who fights with Godzilla. Like, I, I would probably – actually, I would probably do that. There would probably be, like, the good monster team and the bad monster team and a giant monster melee a la, you know, like, um, destroy all monsters, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know that I would do do it that much different. I wouldn't cast – Don Fry probably, but <laughs> but would you cast Don Johnson? Hmm, Fry or Johnson? Gosh, they're so similar. How how do you make that kind of decision? Here's what here's what I, Don Johnson. All right, but he has yeah. Don Fry's mustache. How about that? Yeah, I can I can live with that. Okay, okay. And Don Johnson fights Godzilla with a katana. I agree with that too. In his Miami Vice uh, uh, blazer. <laughs> With the sleeves rolled up. <laughs> yeah, you know well, what? I can't got argue. With silly. That. Anyway, yeah, I, I honestly, I don't think I would do that much different. I would just, I would, I would put my own flair in there. Maybe focus on story just a little, maybe a lot more than they did. What would you do? What would, what would your version of this look like? Well, it, it would be very different from this. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd probably just make a very sebi version of the original Gojira. Yeah. That would be my way of handling it. I would just go back to the roots. I would make my version of that story. Because, you know, something that I always loved about the original Godzilla is that when you, like, step aside from the monster stuff and from the, uh, you know, nuclear angst and trauma side of it, it's a, a love triangle. It's about Ogata and yeah. Emiko and Sarazawa, and I always liked that. And... Whenever directors talk about how they really want to tap into the human element of the kaiju <laughs> film, uh, I don't know why they choose to focus on soldiers who've been separated from their families instead of, like, tackling something more compelling like Ishiro Honda did almost 70 years ago. Yeah. But that's just me. That would be my approach. Yeah, I can see that. I, I feel like also, I can just see the interviews with you. They'd be like, uh, Mr. Godin, tell us about your decision to have Godzilla fight, uh, a giant Frankenstein woman. Uh, <laughs> what was your inspiration uh, for that scene? And I thought it was an interesting twist that they start out fighting, but eventually uh, they're just in love. I mean, I never thought I'd see a Godzilla movie that ends in a wedding, but here we are. <laughs> well, you know, it all goes back to Willis O'Brien. <laughs> Oh uh, God! So I think I'm that's as good a, a point as this. any to po probably wrap this up. Uh, Godzilla: Final Wars yeah, is okay. a mess. <laughs> it's been a mess since 2004. It's going to be a mess till 2000 and ever. You know, till the universe burns out. But if you're in the right mindset, if you you know can revert back to being 12, it's a lot of fun. And I do feel like for the most part, it had its heart in the right place. Uh, this was one when I had. Sometimes I would hang out with other kids when I was a kid, which was really weird for me. Ew, I know. weird. And I would say, you want to watch Godzilla? And I would put on Godzilla Final Wars and they'd look at it. They would just look. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, it'll catch their attention. Um, but yeah, if you're an adult, this should not be your first Godzilla movie. No, probably What are your closing thoughts on it? You know what, Seb? You just made, it, you just made a good point. And I, we had said earlier, or at least I said... This wouldn't be a good entry point. But if you're showing a kid Godzilla for the first time, this might be a good entry point. Because it, as even though it's a two-hour 
you know, in some change movie, it's not boring. There's tons of monsters. So maybe for like a 12 year old kid, this is a good Godzilla entry point. THK! 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 We'll be back whether you want it or not. Bye.